0: Like back when I started marketing, they'd ask us for leads. Hey, marketing, go get leads. And then they'd say, you know what, marketing, go get qualified leads. And then they'd say, hey, marketing, go get pipeline. And then they'd say, go get pipeline and closes. <laughs> and then it was go get pipeline that closes efficiently, right? So we started looking at the cost. And they said, go get pipeline that closes efficiently and results in happy customers. And then it was go get pipeline that closes efficiently and results in happy customers who expand, right? It's our job to tell better stories. Are
1: Hello and welcome to the Growth Hub podcast. Today's guest hardly needs introductions, but let's give it a try anyway. Dave Kellogg is an executive in residence at Bartleton Capital, where he advises and helps companies with their business. In addition, he has 10 years of experience, both as a CEO and CMO. So he had a lot to say about
2: sales and marketing. Dave recently wrote the Founder's Guide to B2B Sales, and we invited him on the podcast to share his thoughts on how founders should kickstart selling and what they can do to ensure a strong alignment between marketing and sales. In the first part of our chat, Dave tells us about the importance of understanding the basics of sales. So here we go for episode 97 on the Growth Hub podcast. Hello, Dave, and welcome to the Growth Hub podcast.
0: Hi, Rita. Hi, Saya, It's great to be here.
2: Fantastic. So before we get into the topic of the day, I, I have to ask you, you have such a phenomenal career. You've been a CMO, you've been a CEO, you're on board of several different companies. Which of those roles do you feel is the most you? What is the most comfortable with you?
0: Sure. So, so, so while I like them all and, and each of their pros and cons. Um, the, the head and shoulders answer above the rest is a CMO. Um, I think. First, It's just my DNA, you'll, you'll figure that out. I feel like I was born with it. I, I enjoy going grocery shopping, right? that, that's a big sign that you're a marketer. Like, you spend hours looking at the positioning and packaging and arrangement. And uh, so, uh, the next is uh, the CMO role, you get to be part of a team. The CEO really is lonely, it's, it's, it's a trope, I know. Uh, but there's a lot of truth to it, it's, it's a hard job. Uh, the director job is great i mean it's great to be able to give advice but but you're you're in the press box not on the playing field right so and and i like being on the playing field so uh it, it marketing is basically my passion area so i view myself as a marketing person who happens to have 10 years of ceo experience <laughs> not as a ceo happens to have 10 years of marketing experience
2: do you actually still get to do marketing
0: yes um Yes, actually. And so I work with, obviously, one of the things I advise companies on is marketing. So I spend a lot of time helping companies with marketing. And, and look, the fun part of marketing, like, you know, positioning, packaging, strategy, as opposed to, you know, nine box performance reviews, right, <laughs> and layoffs and, 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 and all the difficult things you have to do as a manager. So yeah, as an advisor, I love that I, right now I get to work on marketing and I get to work on the hardest part and the funnest part for, you know, 10 companies at once r- rather than doing everything for one.
2: Great. Um, you're also currently um, something called an executive in residence at the, the Balderton Capital, a venture capital investment company. Can you tell us a little bit about your role there? What do you do?
0: Sure. So, so I work uh, with Balderton. And uh, EIR can mean one of two things, by the way. Typically, it means entrepreneur in residence. And also, in my case, it could be an executive in residence. The the difference between the two is the former is looking for another job and the second, the latter isn't, (laughs) basically. Uh, So an entrepreneur in residence right, is waiting for a team to come by to go join or a company that has a missing part that they want to go fill. So they're kind of watching the deal flow, helping with diligence and, and maybe jumping in. Whereas an, an EIR, executive of residence uh, like me, I, I'm not really looking for another operating job. I, I, I wanna play in the game, right? I, I wanna be able to help people out, but but I, I'm really just hanging out at Baldurton helping companies with challenges and nothing more. As such, by the way, I do two things. One is advice and and the other is kind of thought leadership and content generation, which, which I know we'll talk about here today.
2: The reason why we wanted to have you on our podcast as a guest is, um, uh, something that you worked on last year uh, and it came out in November, I think and that's the founders guide to B2B sales. you were you wrote that. Um, so first of all, why a sales guide specifically for founders?
0: So two reasons and, and when when we started the project it wasn't. Uh, but but I have a rule of thumb. I, I teach marketers, which is always start with the audience always. Uh, because marketers and people in general have a tendency to start with what's left over, right? Oh, I need to make a presentation. Oh, I have some slides left over from the customer meeting last week, or I have some slides left over from the analyst meeting last week. So I open that deck in PowerPoint or Google Slides and I start changing it. And and that is, in my humble opinion, a terrible way (laughs) to to make a presentation, right? Uh, And this is some great marketing disasters happen that way um, because you'll you'll use those slides of the sales training and the salespeople will say, that sounds like an analyst deck. And it, 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 it does, because it is. you know. <laughs> so um, as I found myself making this project, the very first thing I did was to say, who's the audience? Because you're going to write the, the thing differently if it's for the head of sales, or if it's for an aspiring seller, or if it's for a CEO, or if it's for a founder. Um, and I said, well, I think we should write it for founders. Ballerton loves to be super founder friendly, right? We'd love to be very supportive of founders and partner with them and growing their business. So I said, let, let's do it for founders. And what can I further assume about founders? And the answer is in today's world, they're typically product oriented. So now all of a sudden I've got a point of view, which is, oh, wait a minute. I'm trying to take a discipline, sales, which is kind of scary and mysterious, and explain it to a founder who probably comes from a product oriented background. Uh, and, and that was what, that was the point of view that drove the whole project.
3: So um, based on that, um, what do actually the founders need to know about selling? So what are the key points you wanted to give them and and want you, them to actually take on board?
0: Founders, there's three things in my opinion. One is they just have to go do it. Right. once again, we're back to the point of view. If I'm assuming a product-oriented founder, I'm going to assume somebody who isn't necessarily comfortable with doing sales, right? Because they haven't—they've spent their career in product, and product management, working with engineers. So the the first thing founders need to understand, and most but not all do, is that you know going to sound like a Nike commercial. You need to just do it, right? You need to get out and go sell, whether or not you're comfortable. I don't care. <laughs> you you need to go do it. So that's the first thing. the The second thing is that you know there's a there's a wide misconception that sales is about talking. Um, and, and sales is not, according to some recent stats I saw, uh, I think it was from Gong that sales, you know, good sellers listen 57% of the time. And, and there's an old adage in sales that we have two ears and one mouth. Use them in proportion, right? So we should be listening two thirds of the time. And so that's the second thing I think founders need to know about actually selling, right? First, you need to go do it, whether you want to or not. Second, selling is about listening, not talking. Um, in fact, my argument for really good answers to questions is simple. It gives you more time to listen. If somebody says, how does your schmumble engine work? And it takes you 25 minutes to explain that, <laughs> right? That, that's 20 minutes. You could have been listening. So, so I explained it in terms of opportunity cost. Um, and then the last thing is just, if you have to boil all of sales down to one word, it's curiosity. There's actually a sales methodology called selling through curiosity. And if you, ask open-ended questions and you're genuinely curious and you listen to the answers, you could be at a highly effective seller. To
3: so find the human or kind of the, um, yeah, the human way and gen, yeah. what was it? What's the word in English? <laughs> Are you losing your English? <laughs> I am losing my English today, <laughs> sorry. Like being genuinely interested in someone actually, and that shows, And not, not really like pushing, but actually pulling.
0: I will tell you a funny story. When I was a young tech support person, i noticed the company I worked at the two most effective sellers were the top seller and the chief architect. And and, and it was like, there's an old movie called the Andromeda strain where you're trying to connect a pattern between a drunk and a baby. And I was literally like, what does the drunk and the baby have in common? Like, how can these two people both be incredible on sales calls? And the answer was the seller was genuinely curious right? Because they were a top seller and they knew they needed to be. And so was the chief architect. The chief architect had no pretenses. They didn't care about anything, but solving the problem. So, so everybody else is an agenda or a boss or something to worry about. But the chief architect would be like, tell me what you're trying to do. Why are you trying to do it? What, what you know? And, and so very different backgrounds led them to the same place, which was one of extremely high sales effectiveness.
2: You, you mentioned that um, founders today tend to be, tend to have a product background. I was wondering if when you talk to these founders and you work with these companies, what is the hardest thing uh, about sales for them? Is it that they're uncomfortable with it and they haven't done it? Or is there, is there something else?
0: It's going to be a very subtle answer, unfortunately. But, but, but I think the hardest thing is, look, in today's world, sales has been industrialized. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. And it, it's easy to kind of over-industrialize sales in the founder's mind. Like, what does that mean? A a founder can show up and go, oh, sales is a funnel. Great, I understand funnels. Um, And funnels have layers and layers have conversion rates. And if you're not careful, you might think that your funnel is linear. And and what I try to teach founders is that if you happen to sell electronic toothbrushes online, you may have a linear funnel. Because somebody sees an ad, they click on it, they go to a landing page, they either click or don't, they watch the demo, they either buy or don't, and it's done right? That's what I would call linear funnel. In B2B software, the reality is, look, our Excel models are going to be funnels. The world, the better model is a popcorn machine, (laughs) which is, we never know. We have all these kernels in, we have all this heat that we're applying underneath, and the kernels are kind of popping out randomly. And this is in marketing, the attribution problem. Attribution is literally like looking at a popcorn machine, watching a kernel pop, and saying, what made that kernel pop?
3: I love, I, that. I love that i, I, love that. I,
2: <laughs> I will I'm, I'm gonna steal that and use that example everywhere <laughs> me too i love it so that's that's
0: it. the problem they have mm. They can be so linear and it's like the linear is just a model right the reality is the popcorn machine so that's hard for them because because they can go oh, i love this sales stuff because that funnel is super easy for them to understand it, unfortunately it's not reality
2: great right. so If a founder does not have a background in sales, what does it take for them to become become a good salesperson or the chief salesperson if they're the only one who's selling at the beginning, at least?
0: So, um, I mean, at the beginning, it's all about the stuff we talked about earlier. You got to get out there and do it. You got to ask great questions. You got to listen. And that, I mean, the first chapter of the guide is focused literally on selling. Um, for, for example, by the way, if I would written it for CROs or CEOs, I might not have included that. But for founders, it was like, you people probably need to know what to do on a sales call. So, so that's where we started. Um, I think, you know, the question leads to the question of when do we go from kind of founder led sales to sale led sales, because I actually think those three things alone will take you a long way in founder led sales. And, and then the question is, at some point, we need to hand off, right? To sales led sales, and so we need to hire sellers. So to answer that question, I think it's about kind of three things, you know, plan it, do it, manage it, basically, that you need to plan sales, like, you need to make a model, I call it a bookings capacity model, and you need to tie that to a marketing inverted funnel model, but you need to make these models, right? You have to kind of, as so my grandfather used to say, plan your work and work your plan, right? <laughs> so, so you need to do that. Um then you need to go out and do it, right? So, so you need to be involved in sales calls, as we discussed. A lot of founders are a little over eager to hand that off too early. And, 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 you know, when do I stop selling? Answer: Never, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'll always, in my opinion, you should always be selling. Um, and then the last is just managing it. And managing sales is hard. And, and, and in fact, the nuance there is, while I talk a little bit about managing sales, I actually also talk about how to manage your CRO, because that. That, once again, if you're a founder CEO, you're not a first line sales manager. I don't need to write a guide on how to manage a sales team. I need to write a guide on how to manage your CRO, which could be quite challenging. Mm. So, so, so those three things.
3: So would you actually say that that advice applies to um, other people as well, like us marketers?
0: So I think... You know, I think in general, yes. I mean, first, I'd say the guide for sure applies to marketers because the more marketing understands about sales, the better. Um, I think the Planet Do It Management advice is pretty CEO specific. Uh, the Do It advice is not, right? And, and by the way, one of the nice things today is even if you can't go on sales calls, you can listen to them with tools like GAR or Chorus or Jiminy you can drop yourself basically right in the middle of the football match, like standing on the field, right? (laughs) Watching things happen around you. Um, And that is super powerful. So so I think that aspect is critical for everybody Um, in in terms of the managing it. um, It's a little bit harder if you're sitting in another chair, I think it would be useful to you to understand how sales should be managed. Uh, And even for a seller, you know, I'll, I'll give you a concrete example. One of the more common mistakes made in early stage startups is they try to do everything in one phone call. So once a week they'll say, let's talk about the pipeline, let's talk about the forecast, and let's talk about the the ACB deal and how we're gonna win it. And in my mind, those are in most professional sales managers' minds, those are actually three different meetings. A, a pipeline scrub should be about the pipeline, or we just look at every opportunity. A forecast call should be about the numbers. Where, where are we going to land this quarter? <laughs> right. Um, and a deal review, it actually, be a fairly large meeting where we're pulling people from across the organization to say, We're going to tell you about this deal. In some ways, a brainstorming session. What, how do you think we can win it? And, and just because the focus and the energy of the audience is different in those meetings, they should be separate. And, and whether you're the boss in charge or a participant, you should raise your hand and say, We should make this a dedicated meeting. We, this deal review is awesome. We should do it, you know, we should do it for an hour and a half, and we should do it for three deals a week.
2: I think that's a really great point and it's something that um i personally it was almost like a mind-blown situation i i'm a i'm a marketer and i am still a marketer but i did um, a degree in sales management and international sales and i think that was one of the most eye-opening two years of my life because then you know, everything was about sales and, and all these people came to talk to me about what, how they do and how they manage sales. And that has actually really, really helped, ap- even after the degree, when I'm working with clients and their sales teams and so forth. So I do, I do agree and I do recommend that marketers also understand not only sales in general and pipelines and things like that, but also the managing part of it. So we should all do like a sales degree, right? Eh? No, not necessarily a degree. <laughs> uh, maybe I should give you the, the uh, opportunity to answer that.
0: <laughs> look, I think the more marketers can understand about sales, the better. I think it's really hard to do purely by empathy, right? Like imagine you had a quota. It's not quite the same. Um, so I think hearing from people who did and hearing from people who managed is great. Um, there's a book whose name, of course, I can't remember right now that I was trying to look up that if, if you're a marketing person and you only, it's mentioned in the sales guide, so here's our incentive to read the guide. Um, but if you only had one book to read on sales, it would be that, and I want to try and find it. Uh, I'll try and find it. Oh yeah, there I uh, got okay. John McMahon wrote the book. I just need the title. Ah, The Qualified Sales Leader. And the first, so I think marketers and sellers should read The Qualified Sales Leader because the first few chapters is very much kind of a walk in the footsteps approach it's not theoretical. It's not looking down from above. It's kind of dropping you into the scene. <laughs> um, and it's great for building empathy. Uh It's so a fantastic book. If I had, other than my guide, of course, uh, if I only had <laughs> one book to read, uh, I'd go to the qualified sales leader.
2: Okay. Um, actually, uh, we've been talking about founders and what does it take to for the founder to be good at sales. But if we think about this more generally about, you know, the sales force today, what do you think makes a good salesperson today?
0: The good salesperson today, um, I think first, it's going to be, I want to say, a modern salesperson, a listener, not a talker, right? It, uh, mm-hmm. Second, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit consistent in my answers, but it makes things simpler, I think. But they need to be good at listening, they need to be curious. Um, but I'll just give a demo of curiosity because because people may not understand what I mean by curious. I, I, I'm gonna just fire a bunch of questions at you to, as a demo. So here we go. I'm curious. Why did you decide to do this evaluation? I'm, I'm curious. Who else are you evaluating? I'm curious. What other what process will we be using to conduct the evaluation? I'm curious. Do you have any spreadsheets, templates, or artifacts you're using to run that process? I'm curious, what are the impacts of the problem we're trying to solve downstream? I'm curious, does the CFO know about this process? I'm curious, have you ever bought a deal of this size before at this company, right? Uh, I'm curious um, about the approval process, who is involved in the approval process? I'm curious, do you have any major company events that are coming up that could impact my closing? I'm curious, is anyone going to be on vacation at the end of the quarter because they may not be here to sign my paperwork, right? Like almost any question you could have can be expressed as one of genuine curiosity from why are you buying this? Like literally from how do you make money? Which is always one of my first questions when I meet a company, I just say, how do you make money? (laughs) Because if I don't understand that, I don't understand anything. Right. So I need to understand how you, and and people are, and maybe this cuts really back to your answer to be curious. You can't be prideful. You can't be afraid of looking stupid. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because to be curious, you need to show up and ask questions. I would argue that other people are afraid to ask because they're afraid of looking dumb. Um, and, and those fundamental questions are actually kind of money. So I, to be a great seller today, I think you need to be curious. I think you need to be great at questioning, great at listening. I also think you need to be process oriented. I mean, sales itself has has industrialized, right? When I started in software, it was totally artisanal, right? We, we were hand crafting little, you know, little loaves of bread. We were making, you know, one, and now we, we have bread machines, right? <laughs> and, and we're pumping out lots of bread. So I, and I think that transformation left a lot of people behind, but but there's no question to me the modern seller and the modern sales manager need to be industrial.
3: Isn't that the same applies for the kind of modern marketers as well? We need. So
0: to- look, I, I once looked back over my career at what organizations were asking marketing for, and you can see this really interesting progression. Like back when I started marketing, they'd ask us for leads. Hey, marketing, go get leads, and then they'd say, you know what, marketing, go get qualified leads. And then they said, hey, marketing, go get Pipeline. And then they'd say, go get Pipeline and closes. <laughs> and then it was, go get Pipeline that closes efficiently, right? So we started looking at the cost. And they said, go get Pipeline that closes efficiently and results in happy customers. And then it was, go get Pipeline that closes efficiently and results in happy customers who expand, right? And in each case, we're taking marketers further and further down the accountability funnel. So it's been a fun journey, but that to me is literally 35 years of marketing.
3: And let's not forget churn. Oh,
0: uh, yeah. Well, mm. yeah. Ma- to customers marketing. who expand and don't churn, I, I could Exactly. to customers who get <laughs> a high in our arm. <laughs> well, we oh, want God. to
2: ta- we want to talk about sales and marketing and their alignment a bit more. But before we get to that topic, I I ha- I really want to talk ask you about something um, still related to sales skills because when you did list your the the most important skills that you thought that salesperson um, needs to have. What I'm hearing is you. there were a lot of people skills and how to communicate and interact and things like that. But for example, you know, reading through academic research at the moment, one of the big concerns there is that you know salespeople don't have the digital skills or the skills to u- use digital tools, and that's kind of hindering hindering them back. So I'm wondering, uh, from your point of view, uh, how much has technology changed selling? Has it changed it at all? And how how important do you find? Um, these kind of technological skills for salespeople to have.
0: So, 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 as we alluded to earlier, sales has changed radically, right, over the past 20, 30 years. Um, and if you had to summarize that in one word, it's from artisanal to industrial. Um, and and that change is really hard on people, right? Imagine you're you're a craftsperson person who builds high quality whatever's one at a time. And now all of a sudden you need to pump them out in volume. It changes everything. It's not a small change. Um, The first thing it does, I remember the first time, it was probably the mid-1980s, the first time I heard the phrase quality is about process. And I had no idea what it meant. (laughs) I was like, what does that mean? Um, but, But when you industrialize something, it's all about process, right? So we need to define a process. We need to measure a process. If there are problems, we need to put them in the process. Some salespeople are naturally process oriented. Many, the, the more the artisans are not. So, so, that is the kind of macro transformation driving B2B sales. And, you know, process is all about measurement, analytics, and automation, right? And, and kind of CRM would be the poster child for V1 process, right? That, that we took all the stuff that used to be on spreadsheets or on pieces of paper um, and, and we put it in a database and put a front end on it and gave it some reporting. <clears throat> made betting off a billionaire uh, <laughs> in the process. So um, that was kind of phase one automation. And, and that's super important. And that left a lot of people behind. But but that, and by the way, many startups today still are not good at that. And the biggest thing they get wrong is they don't put the foundations in place. You know, you'll ask them what a stage two opportunity is and they won't have a good definition. Or you'll ask them the exit criteria. My My favorite is one company I worked with had like five exit criteria for stage three. And I read them all and I was like, you do know that I could win the deal before getting all of your five exit criteria for stage three, right? I could literally win the deal. <laughs> <laughs> it would be easier to win the deal than it would be to do all of these things. So, um, and that's not good foundations, right? Because if you want automation in place, you need to have, the whole thing is built on a foundation of definitions and standards. What, what, what does it mean to be upside? What does it mean to be pipeline? What does it mean to be stage three? What does a June 30th close date mean? What does $250,000 opportunity value mean, right? Each of those things, the meaning could be slightly different. So uh, that's the first phase. The second phase is the one we're in right now, which is really for me from automation to intelligence, where you have tools, just for example, like Clary that helps you do forecasting. So so I'm pretty good at, at the kind of old school forecasting and still do it. But but I, I love Clary as a second opinion, right? Or, or a fifth opinion <laughs> on what the number is going to be. And, and it works differently than, than my models do. So that's great. Uh, so we could have intelligence into the forecast. And and along with it, you know, where to invest our time, which deals are winners that we should invest in, which deals are like losers where we're just kind of pouring time and money and, and we're going to lose anyway, right? So that's helpful. Uh, another example of intelligence would be um, conversation intelligence, which uh, we talked about. I love. Um, because we can, we can hear, I mean, look, I'll tell you why I love conversation intelligence. Cause I always have the first time I saw Gong, I was like, everybody needs this. And while there's lots of different brands and I'm on the board of one, I'm on the board of Jiminy, but, but, uh, everyone needs this stuff for three reasons. One, it helps marketing, listen to their message, go down in real time. Because marketing people you know us sometimes we can make stuff that sounds a little bit too much like a pr agency um and and you try that to a customer and they'll be like what what did you say could you say that in english you know (laughs) uh (laughs) super useful just to hear that um the the second thing it's useful for is all the alerting capabilities all the tools have these alerting so every time pricing comes up or every time competition comes up i want to hear about it and hear what we said so that's great for sales training and focusing um additionally, it can be used for forecasting, which is, a, I think, an accidental use case, I, I, I think, because um, I didn't hear it from the vendors. I heard it from the customers the first time, where it's like, well, I use this for forecasting because I could just look how much activity there is. And if it's near the end of the quarter and there's no activity, probably not happening. Uh, and if it's near the end of the quarter and there's a lot of activity It is, And I was like, whoa, I, I don't think it was built for that, but what a cool use case. <laughs> so, uh, And finally, it connects the E-suite to the ground reality, because even in little companies – You can get so disconnected. I mean, I I honestly believe that if you've never used a conversation intelligence tool, the first time you call the e-staff together, listen to a few calls, you literally want to crawl under the table. It's (laughs) cringeworthy, right? It's like, oh, my God, I was so bad. (laughs) And and, and, and awesome wake-up call, right? Because you're now connected to ground reality, and you have all these fancy decks and fancy things. but this was reality and if reality makes you want to crawl under the table then maybe we should do something about that
1: this concludes part one of our chat with dave kellogg in part two we'll discuss marketing and sales alignment how to get it right and what founders should do from the get go to make it happen we'll release part two in two weeks on your favorite podcast platforms but you can already find the entire episode on advanced b2b's youtube channel And if you're hungry for more, feel free to browse through our library where you'll find dozens of great episodes. Take care.